today on Doomed. Where do we go from here? The left after Bernie Sanders. On today's episode of Doomed with Matt Binder, I guess you can say worlds collide as Jamie Peck of the Antifada and of course the Majority Report joins the show to break down what's next for the left and I guess what we should do this year. I know there's been some spirited conversation between Jamie and Sam Cedar on the Majority Report lately. Uh, something tells me though that me and Jamie will probably be on the same page here, but uh, maybe I'll play devil's advocate. We'll see. But without any further ado, well, first let me plug the Patreon. Patreon.com slash MattBinder. Support the show. Uh, keep this show going. Keep this show uh, growing. Uh, I don't ask for much. Of course, if you are affected by this global pandemic, feel free to not do anything. But listen to the show without subscribing on Patreon. But, you know, it's cool if you uh, want to. And uh, YouTube.com slash MattBinder to subscribe to the YouTube channel. DoomedPod.com for the podcast. And uh, Jamie, with the perfect slide into frame, just as I was about to, uh, welcome you to the show. Thank you so much. Yeah, it was a little bit warm in here, so I went to open the windows really fast. That's no, all good. It's all good. So, you know, the my audience has been begging for me to have you on this show. And, of course, I've been saying, absolutely not. Why would I have her on? No, of course I would have you on this show. In fact, uh, I'm surprised it took this long, and I want to say that you should have been on sooner, but also, uh, I've yet to be on the Antifada. So, I mean, there we go. I mean... (laughs) Well, now that I've been on your show, like, one hand washes the other. Let me know what you want to talk about when you want to come on. We'll do it. All right, cool. We'll talk about what else. What else? Uh, So, you know, uh, one thing I saw people saying, actually... uh, in the chat here was that, you know, I'm glad that Matt and Jamie are going to talk because uh, they have great repertoire and Matt doesn't interrupt Jamie and they have great back and forth, which is a little bit crazy to me because honestly, uh, one of the reasons that sparked me to reach out to you is because uh, every time I've been on the majority report sends one time uh, that you've been on, uh, I feel like we've actually had very little interaction. So I don't know where people get that from. That one time where you it was just you and me uh, behind the, the the camera when I did the uh, the better half earlier this year, I filled in for Sam. Uh, I was like very sick, so <laughs> so I don't even know if we were that good, to, uh, you know, back and forth. But I'm assuming we were. So I'll take it. So I'm assuming that we will have another great back and forth today. Oh, for sure. Um... I'm not sick, but I am a little sleepy right now because I just woke up from a nap. But um, you've got enough energy for the both of us, so I'm sure it'll be fine. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know what? Like I said, uh, even a half-asleep Jamie will be just as on point as, uh, you know, anyone else on, uh, I guess, Coke. So... <laughs> So, you know, let's get, let's dive right into this. Let's just jump right in. Um, so Bernie Sanders obviously has dropped out of the race. And I was telling you before we started the show that, you know, I'm having this episode maybe a little late in the game, but I felt like I still wanted to do it because literally Bernie drops out of the race the same day I already have a coronavirus guest lined up for the show. And then a week later, he endorses Joe Biden on the same day I have, you know, another guest for a coronavirus-themed episode of the show. So now that uh, the coronavirus has been uh, evaporated and everything is now back to normal, there's no more pandemic, uh, (laughs) now would be the perfect time to have this show. But no, I mean, uh, what do you think happened with Bernie Sanders and his 2020 campaign? What happened? (laughs) right oh well uh yes just like much like the title of the book by hillary clinton in 2016 i'm going to tell you what happened um so there's a lot of people and a lot of talk going back and forth about the mistakes made by the sanders campaign were they too woke were they not woke enough 
Were they too far left? Were they just like social fascist sellouts? I'm sure there were some things they could have done better. But at the end of the day, I don't think there's that much. Like, I think at the present, um, and I've I've thought this for the whole time, but I hoped that I was wrong. Um, the left, and I'm speaking broadly of the social democratic left and to the left of that, um, lacks the institutional power necessary in order to win a presidential primary right now. Right. Right. I mean, there's definitely, have you read that, uh, that, that piece that Michael Tracy dropped today? <laughs> um, I did not, I decided to do self care by not reading it. Right. Well, he teamed up with, uh, uh, Angela, uh, whatever her name is. Uh, I can't remember her last name now. N- Nigel, 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 whatever her name is, uh, to, uh, <laughs> not important. Right. <laughs> to, uh, put together this piece called, uh, this is literally the title first as tragedy then as farce, the collapse of the Sanders campaign and the fusionist left. Now, it's very long, and I, I, I wish I had more time to read the entirety. But I do know that Michael Tracy has been on a tear lately about how Bernie Sanders' big problem was that he reached out this time to the woke left, which then turned off all those working class voters who were behind him in 2016. And now, uh, I think that Michael Tracy needs to log off uh, Twitter because I highly doubt that many uh, working class people in the Midwest uh, jumped online and saw that the woke left was warming up to Bernie Sanders this time around and that that was just uh, too much for them. They don't want to hear words like you use, like self-care. You woke leftist, you. (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean i think it's pretty obvious that both sides of this uh discourse are it's an elite discourse to be having um i think you know the michael tracy types think that uh it's elitist to i mean like the target tends to move based on who they're talking to right Uh, things that are often caricatured as woke left or fringe or activist demands, um, when you dig into it, are basically things that take into account uh, fractions of the working class that are not white, cis, hetero men a lot of the time. Like, we've all seen the excesses of this kind of, like, SJW culture or whatever, but, um, like, abolish ICE is not one of them. I'm sorry. Like, the working class is large. The working class is diverse. And um, people experience oppression in various interlocking ways under capitalism. And uh, if you want to win, you need to be thinking about the entire working class rather than just your vulgar workerist image of like a white guy in a hard hat. Right. Also, the idea that even the excess of the, you know, the, the social justice, you know, uh, the SJW thing that uh, these Michael Tracy types are so hung up on. The idea that that would be the the reason that someone who would support Bernie previously would be turned away from him is just bizarre. Like the idea that if that's true, if Bernie Sanders became or his campaign became what those types think it became, then would they have uh, gone out there and showcase the fact that Joe Rogan was talking about possibly voting for Bernie Sanders? No. Absolutely not. They would have they would have they would have done the thing that all the the the, the Warren stands were doing when they found out that Joe Rogan was thinking about voting for Bernie. They would have said you should say do not vote for me. We do not want your kind here. Like, you know, that's what they would have done and they didn't do that. The idea that there was some sort of ultra too far woke to the point of parody gone uh, left tingent in the Bernie Sanders campaign. It, it's, I just don't buy it. Well, also, if you look at the things that Bernie was actually attacked for and the reasons why people decided not to vote for him, it wasn't mostly like his policies on immigration. It wasn't his uh, 
far quote unquote fringe demands. It was his signature programs like Medicare for all, as in the thing that everyone in America has been told their entire life by both parties is not possible and never going to happen. So I think that kind of depoliticization had a lot more to do with it. And um, like, like, I just think this whole, this culture wars nonsense is just a total red herring to talking about what is really going on. And I think you have to look at the agenda that people have when they keep trying to keep these debates alive that very few people, certainly very few working class people actually care about that much, right? Like, if you ask the average guy on the street, uh, what do you think about transgender bathrooms? He'd probably, he, he'd be like, fine, who cares? Right. Like, right. every, I, people should use the bathroom. It's, it's fine. <laughs> people should use the bathroom. If they need to use the bathroom, yes. I, I think we're <laughs> on the same page there as well. Uh, but, you know, there, there are, to me, real failures. Um, you know, and I, I think it's wrong to say the Bernie Sanders campaign was a failure because obviously that's incorrect. I mean, there is a left, you know, the 2016 campaign started, uh, you know, gave birth to a new left that just honestly wasn't there before. Uh, you know, they maybe were, the, 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 the people involved in the movement were there, but, you know, they were all so fractured. And the Bernie Sanders campaign helped bring together a real movement of leftists. And I think 2020 really helped show that, A, that group is still here. They didn't age out. And then, B, the people younger than the people from 2016, they're even more so. As, as far left as you think the 2016 Bernie supporters were, the 2020 ones are even further left, and it's all the people who were younger than the 2016 group. So, you know, I don't think it was a failure at all, but there were failures, I think. And, and one, to me, was a strategic failure in terms of campaigning. Now, with policy or whatever, campaigning. And, I mean, it's pretty clear to anyone watching is that the Sanders campaign, uh, I don't know what they thought about South Carolina, but clearly they, they, they need to do more work on the ground there. It shouldn't have been what happened there because that that's that's what that's what that's what killed the campaign that's when it all went downhill they could have lost even and it would have been fine they just couldn't lose by as much as they did yeah i mean i think the the uh the sudden consolidation behind biden of the other candidates played a huge role as did the jim clyburn endorsement i think something like 50 percent of voters in South Carolina had not made up their minds yet as of a few days before the election. And these were not people who were hostile to Bernie Sanders either, but these were also voters who identified very closely with the Democratic Party. Um, and, and you know, it's not stupid for them to do so when it's the only game in town and seemingly the only institution with any kind of power standing between you and like a full-on white supremacist authoritarianism of Donald Trump. Right. Um, also like a, a larger percentage of democratic primary voters trust the mainstream media than uh, any other kinds of voters basically. So like it was, it, he was, he was pretty doomed to fail on that level. Like the democratic party got their shit together just in time. But I, I agree with you to a point because we've seen, we, I mean, we saw, what the Bernie Sanders campaign was able to do with a group of voters who they spent the time on. I mean, what the Bernie Sanders campaign did with Latino voters this time around is is phenomenal. It's to me, it's changed the game with with reach with with voter reach out to the Latino community. I mean, they uh, Chuck Roca, their their Latino outreach guy, he had, he would go through. I remember when after a primary where there would be a huge Latino turnout, he would take to Twitter and explain, you know, give a little bit of the behind the scenes of the strategy there. And I mean, these were things that I, I don't think anyone's really ever, ever done or even attempted to do. So I think, you know, there, there, while what you're saying is true, there was an opportunity, I think, for them to find a way in with the African-American community in South Carolina and beyond in the same way they did with the Latino community. I mean, 50-something percent of voters who were undecided, uh, if, if they could have chipped that away by even, you know, 10, 15 percent to go towards them, 
could have had a, a much closer race and then very different results down the road. No, I'm sure that there are things they could have done better to reach out to uh, the African-American community in South Carolina and in other Southern states. Um, but I also want to, you know, I'm sure you know this, but like uh, the black vote isn't a monolith, right? We're talking about a certain subset of black voters who are older and who live in the South and have a certain set of experiences that might make them more likely to identify closely with the Democratic Party. Um, Bernie won every demographic of young people. He won young black people. He won young white people. He won, long, won young Latinos. So it's not as bleak as some people are making it out to be. Right. I think for the future, for sure. But for this race, you know, they, they, I guess they needed to calibrate for the the electorate that was in 2020 more so than they did um you know it's 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 easy just to say that obviously uh, clearly there there it was a uh you know a lot pushing against them it was a uphill climb there but you know one, one thing that you bring up too about uh that that uh made me think you know and i mentioned this on the show before one thing that really bothers me and and clearly by how you described those voters in south carolina you this is not you, but it made me think of these this this cohort of people, and I'm sure some of them are listening to this show. Um, you know, people who who see how Bernie did when he got to South Carolina, and they believe he failed because of the low info voter. Now, I'm not a fan of that term because I you know the term means something specific, but to a lot of people who just take those words by their dictionary meaning, it sounds like you're you're knocking someone. It sounds mean and, and mean, you know, disparaging, disparaging. Um, yeah, I mean, that implies that you think uh, it's sort of inherently good to follow the minutia of American electoral politics and all their stupidity, which like lots of people have better things to do. And I get that. Right. I, I sort of describe it more as, uh, you know, and this is for everyone. Uh, we, you know, a lot of the electorate are are sort of bubble voters where they are actually very highly informed, but within their community or their social bubble, for example. Or like, the mainstream media. Exactly. Yes. Or whatever media they, 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 they take in. Like, for example, you and I were probably in mid-February uh, tooting our horns about how Bernie was about to sweep all the states. <laughs> We were probably in a bubble because of the media and the people that we associated with. Uh, you and I probably have mostly friends under the age of 40 who we talked to about the elections. Uh, probably didn't talk to many uh, African Americans in South Carolina over the age of 65. Uh, <laughs> uh, right. And those same people, they probably talk to a lot of people in their age groups, in their uh, various other demographics. Uh, you know, they go to church and talk to the people in their communities who probably have good ties with the local Democratic parties. Uh, uh, so that's sort of where people come to, you know, vote for who they vote for. It's not because they are a low-info voter. It's because they actually most, I mean, there are such things as low-info voters. I'm sure there are people who just wake up one day, go to the voter, the voting booth, and uh, just uh, mark someone based on uh, their favorite uncle sharing the same first name as them. Uh, you know, I'm sure uh, someone has an Uncle Bernie and that made them vote for Bernie Sanders. <laughs> but, you know, most people who vote in a primary probably go out and vote based on the information they've gathered over the course of time uh, in their social circles. Yeah. I mean, we had a good talk with Assad Hader about this on the Antifada. I think... Uh, he kind of debunks in some of the things he's written th this idea that um, there was this, there's just any such thing as Marxist electoral theory, whereby you know people can be convinced to vote in their own rational self-interest uh, and improve their material conditions. Right? That's the that's the idea that's being floated by like the Jacobin types and to some degree like Nagel and Tracy, although I would not ever put them in the same basket. Right. That's actually a capitalist idea. Um, a, a Marxist analysis sees th that things are a lot more complicated than that in terms of how people make decisions. And um, 
even the idea of there being some kind of objective interests that people will act in defense of is uh, like that is also subjective like people don't vote against their interests they vote for uh what they've figured out that their interests are within the framework in which they exist and like i mean i've probably been guilty of it myself on multiple occasions because i'm like clearly social democracy is in the best interest of the working class but it's not that simple and the fact the idea that objective interests exist is like kind of sus right right in my opinion like people think that i'm being arrogant a lot of the time when i talk about the influence of ideology and institutions like oh you think people are stupid you think people are stupid because they didn't vote for bernie like no i think they are people and uh it takes a lot a lot in fact like some of us could be viewed as kind of crazy for going against uh these extremely powerful institutions of uh, of ideology and of information that exist in this country for the sole purpose of reproducing this system. So, like, no, I don't think it makes you stupid. I think it makes you a person. Right. And I just want to say, uh, me, crazy? Come on. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> so let's actually let, – let's – I like where this conversation is headed. So let's go somewhere. Uh, let's go a little bit back a few days. Uh, and I need you to catch my audience up with this who may not be familiar. Um, but you and Sam Cedar on the Majority Report, by the way, if uh, for those, this is the first show I've done since being on the show last week. I was on the Majority Report on Friday talking with Sam. So check out that episode if you haven't already. Um, but uh, on Monday, I think it was, you and Sam had a heated conversation about, I mean, I guess uh, for our purposes, I'm going to cla- classify the conversation as what people, uh, in this conversation, I guess more so the left, what they should do, seeing the cards that have been laid out in front of us, what we should do in the 2020 election that's coming up. So what, what happened there with you and Sam? Oh, God. I mean, I hate to rehash things that oh, uh, happened I, I, on the I majority don't. report, but uh, <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I mean, basically, we had a couple people call in who were like, I don't want to vote for Joe Biden, basically. And the last one was uh, a regular caller named Bro Flamingo, who's a black guy in, I believe, uh, Las Vegas. Bro Flamingo from Las Vegas. That sounds right. Anyway. He was like, Sam, I just can't do it this time. I voted for fucking Hillary in 2016. I voted for her racist ass. But like Joe Biden is just as implicated in mass incarceration. I know people who have been incarcerated, who've been directly harmed by the fucking crime bill that he helped push through. And I just I just don't think I can do it this time. I'm so sick of having to choose the maybe lesser of two evils. And it seems like nothing ever changes. And um, Sam kind of browbeat the guy that, you know, sorry, you might not like it, but you got to vote for Joe Biden. And uh, I I was like, I wasn't like, no, no one should vote for for Joe Biden. I was saying that I can see it from both sides. Also, I just don't think it matters that much who our listeners vote for. I'm sorry. I know that I'll probably I'll probably make people mad, but I think the the greater uh, the greater potential for practical activity on the left lies outside of this presidential election and oftentimes outside of electoral politics in general. We need to be building working class institutions that can maybe challenge the power of these capitalist institutions, um, tenants unions, labor unions, yada, yada. And I know Sam agrees with me about all that stuff, but when it comes to like this narrow binary choice, um, I can see it from both sides. Like, people have merit on both sides of the thing. Okay, first of all, like, as a strategy for, like, getting some kind of leverage against the Democratic Party, that's not going to fucking work. They don't care if they lose. They've shown that over and over again. However, I can see it from both sides in the sense if someone's making this choice, there are arguments both pro and con. If someone comes to me and they're like, I want to vote for Joe Biden for whatever marginal benefit he may have over Trump, with like DACA, the Medicaid expansion, 
you know, maybe some sort of slightly more competent uh, bureaucratic uh, response to something like the coronavirus, I'd be like, great, you should do it. And if someone else came up to me and they were like, I don't think I can vote for Joe Biden because he's been on the wrong side of every important thing in history, mass incarceration, welfare reform. He's been credibly accused of sexual assault and whatever marginal benefit we might get in the Supreme Court is not worth it. I'd be like, you know what? You also have a point. And it's like there are so many unknowns. There are so many variables that it's impossible to know. Like, yes, I think it's probably it's possible to probable that Biden would be better than Trump in some marginal way. However, there are also a lot of counterfactuals that we can't know. For instance, if Biden becomes president, right, and the Democratic Party is the ruling party and the administrators of austerity during this crisis, it's very possible that the Republican Party could finally realign into some kind of like uh, heron vogue social democratic, like traditionally fascist party. And we get like Tom Cotton in 2024, if there even is an election in 2024. So it's just one of the many things that I feel like people aren't thinking about. Like, there's too many what ifs. We're not going to know unless in, except in retrospect. And even then, like, because we're not going to have a Biden uh, presidency and a Trump second term to compare. Right. Right. Um, you know, I've been very careful uh, when talking about, you know, the, the upcoming election, which presumably will be between Joe Biden and Donald Trump. Because I think the people who's now, I don't know if Sam does this usually or if this was just his response to someone who brought it up. I mean, I mean, when when I was there, uh, the election I was there for was Jesus Christ, 2012, <laughs> uh, when it was Romney and Obama. You know, Sam, I remember would would push pretty hard on the idea that you you have to vote for the lesser of both evils, uh, if especially if you're in a, you know if you're in a swing state, and that that's that's that uh, period. And I get that obviously, and I think that's uh, the obvious choice if you vote strategically. Uh, but I've been very careful in terms of how I talk about it because I think the idea of pushing someone and attacking someone and knocking someone uh, in order to get them to vote for Joe Biden is the dumbest possible strategy you could possibly uh, go with because obviously you're not going to convince anyone to do what you want them to do by telling them how stupid they are for not doing what you want them to do. It just yeah. seems like a really dumb strategy. And I, I, I know Sam doesn't say, call them stupid or whatever. Uh, but, you know, I think even when you push someone too hard, uh, even, you know, even getting a little bit uh, angry with someone, I, I think that turns them off too. And I think the idea is just to make the case. Just to make the case. Like For me, I, I, I put a little bit more stake into, I agree with you totally that there's so much that can be done out of electoral politics. But I put a little bit more stake in electoral politics possibly than you do because I do think it is obviously a very important plank on that whole platform. Um, I think that, uh, you know, I think it would be, if you are a, a, someone on the left who's going to vote for Joe Biden, uh, I think it's dumb to say you are now because I actually do think I don't think you're going to push them left. You're not going to get Joe Biden becoming Bernie Sanders, but you could just you could get concessions on some specific issues. Possibly, we won't know until until it becomes that obvious to them that they're in trouble and they need to get every single person they can. Uh, you know, I do think there is maybe, they, maybe I, I do agree to you to a point. They don't care about losing when they lose, but before that, I do feel like they want to win. <laughs> like when they when they lose, they don't get too disappointed. It's like, uh, que sera, sera, it happened, you know. But on the, the, the road to the election, though, I do think they care about winning. Well, I mean, these people in the Democratic Party establishment are still going to have jobs if Trump is president, right? And I think that history, recent history has shown that having a right-wing uh Trump-like figure in office that they can go around and fearmonger about helps them to quell and put down challenges from the left because they're like, listen to us. This is the safest choice to beat Trump. You really want to beat Trump, right? Right. Right. But, I mean, that's just what they think they need to... They Well, 
that's what they think they need to do, obviously, in A, uh, that's A, and then B, uh, if that's all they can get away with and win, that's perfect for them. It's like the best of both worlds. I mean, I don't think that's their strategy because they don't care. I think that's their strategy because it serves two purposes. It gets them to not do what they don't want to do. Like, they don't want to go further left. They don't feel like that's a winning strategy. And also, they do. I do agree that there's also many of them who think that, you know, even if they lose, at least they'll keep their seats. But that's not all of them. Uh, because that's not the truth about all of them either. There's a lot of them who will lose their seats. A lot of them did lose their seats. Uh, to both Republicans and uh, an insurgent leftist movement. Uh, you know, it, it's it's a little bit twofold, I think. Uh, but I don't disagree with you. I just think there's a little bit more, in my opinion, in terms of that aspect of it. Uh, okay, I'll revise it. I'll revise it and say that they cared more about beating Bernie Sanders than they cared about beating Trump. I'll agree with that. Yeah, I'll agree with that. Please don't revise it unless you you feel that way, though. Don't. <laughs> no, I think it's probably about about right. I should also say I got like I don't like to. I mean, it seems like stupid inside baseball, but I did get multiple messages from people after that conversation. Um, most of them were younger uh, black men telling me that I was right and Sam was wrong. So there you go. There you like, go. Someone, right. someone said in a YouTube comment that um, Sam Cedar, surprisingly, not cool with the youths. So, someone, someone said in a YouTube comment, <laughs> basically, like we got into this ridiculous, you know, hypothetical about if uh, if a hundred people are murdered every month under Trump by the cops and ninety nine people are murdered under Biden, which is already a hypothetical that is impossible to prove, but whatever. Um, you are morally obligated to pick 99. And someone in the comments was like, yeah, but can you see how that might not be a meaningful difference to the friends and family of those 99 people? Right, right. I mean, I, I think I, back in the day, in probably in 2012 when I was on the Majority Report, I probably deployed that same line of thinking at certain times, at certain points. I mean, I do think that less death is better than more death. But at the same time, uh, yeah, I, I agree with that aspect. It's it really is a hard thing, because uh, we're, we're, we'll, we'll get to this. We'll, we'll, get to, we'll get to this now because it's something that I think adds the extra layer. Because I'm also in that category of the person who who I am, Sam. Where you know I voted for Hillary in 2016 after criticizing her up to the very last day, along with Trump, obviously, of the 2020 elections. Uh, I'm in New York. I didn't have to. I just, when I went to the voting booth, I felt like I wanted to vote for the Democratic candidate to defeat Trump. That, that was it for me. That's where I, what I decided in the voting booth. Um, and so that was an easy decision for me. Now, with Biden, it is a little bit more difficult because I do think he's responsible for, and this is a debate all in and of itself for another whole other episode, I do think he's responsible for more death and more wrong than Hillary, although we could debate on that, I'm sure, um, at least in this country. Uh, <laughs> they're, they're both bad, but Hillary's never been accused of sexual assault. So. And yeah, that's, and that's where I'm getting at. That's where it becomes difficult for me because it's, it, is, it is more so, and this is not at all, because I, I obviously believe Tara Reid. I think she is, and, and who cares about what I say about her? I don't matter at all, but I personally believe she's very, very credible. Uh, anything that has been put out there to sort of try to demean her and take away that credibility has been, uh, A, gross. Uh, most importantly, I would like to uh, really italicize here, uh, gross. And uh, B, really nothing to do with the allegations at hand. Uh, I also uh, think that, and this is where it gets to me, and again, not to take away from her personal story, this is a story about Tara Reid, but in the broader sense, what really disturbs me as a voter on the left is the reaction that has been, I don't know, empowered maybe, uh, that Democrats feel empowered to now go forth with, where all of a sudden 
they are questioning whether believe women should actually mean believe all women. That They're literally rolling out the right wing tropes and talking points. I mean, I don't even have to specifically say that they used against uh, 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 Christine uh, uh, Blasey Ford, who, who uh, had allegations against uh, uh, Supreme Court Justice uh, Brett Kavanaugh. Because they've really, I mean, that's the most recent example of it, but they've been rolling out this this uh, this rape apolo- apologetic language for, 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 geez, I feel like it's been decades, as long as I've been paying attention to politics. So for me, as a voter, it is extremely worrisome to see such a, a, a wide range of people who call themselves Democrats, who formerly would be attacking this sort of, of discourse, taking part in it, and not just taking part in it, literally driving it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's disgusting, obviously. I actually don't really like the framework of believe all women automatically, right? Like, it is possible and necessary to vet these kinds of claims. Uh, that said, that has been done with Tara Reid, and she has been found to be credible. And if you don't think that she's credible, you probably pay too much attention to what the mainstream media has to say, because they've done a really effective job at gaslighting this person and uh, making her seem like some like it's like the nuts and sluts strategy going back to the Clinton era. Um, Like Lida, what's her name? Lida Gold at Current Affairs has a really good breakdown of all the disingenuous uh, things right. and the, the fallacies that the media has employed to try to discredit Tara Reid. Like, the New York Times talked to interns who she was in charge of, and then they remember her being removed, and they can't, they weren't told why. So, like, that right there is kind of a smoking gun, as far as I'm concerned, about the retaliation against her. And the, the Biden campaign... They didn't even pretend to come up with an alternate reason for why she was devoted after she made her sexual harassment complaint. Well, um, Joe, Joe Biden went out there recently and said, uh, if you believe Tara Reid, then don't vote for me. I wouldn't vote for me. I mean, it's it's listen, you could take it sort of I heard that. And my first reaction was, well, that's a, a sort of refreshing response in a way. But at the same time. I then, like, I, I, I dwelled on it a bit longer, and I, I was thinking, you know, if you were really that adamant that this is not true, it doesn't sound like that'd be something you'd say, no matter how different it sounded. You know what I mean? Like, it's a bizarre thing to say. Well, yeah, I mean, he didn't need to say that, but I think he was just doubling down on his unequivocal denial. I mean, it's also possible the man doesn't really want to be president. He's basically <laughs> He's being, <laughs> like frog marched through this thing he's a fucking stuffed suit um that's the other thing that kills me about this if the democratic establishment or whoever you want to call it if they put pressure on him to drop out he absolutely would but they're not gonna do that they have gone all in with someone who they already knew to be an extremely problem plagued candidate so why would this be any different right like some people maybe care about sexual assault some people maybe don't but as a society uh, as a society, we don't. And I think this feeds into what I was talking about with depoliticization, right? Like women in both parties, they're like, well, you know, I don't like it, but that's just how men in power are. That's just how men in power behave. I'm going to line up and vote for my party's candidate, whether it's Trump or Biden or whatever fucking cool we're talking about. Also, I want to bring up uh, a poll just to show you, like, it's, it's really hard for me not to blame voters. I know I just said that I don't, but like they did a poll, right? On whether or not um, being attempted rape in high school should disqualify Kavanaugh from serving on the Supreme Court. And then another poll about whether or not actual an instance of sexual assault when someone was a senator should disqualify them from being president. And the Democrat, registered democrats in the first poll were like 70 percent and the second poll were like 30 percent and this was mediated by party um way more than either republicans or independents 
listen, there's just a higher standard out there for students than there is for senators. I mean, <laughs> come on, Jamie. We all know that. But I think it's, I th- you know, the, the idea, though, and I know you mentioned it, and I, I think it's sort of implicit, though. Like, when people say believe women, I mean, to me, it's the same. It's just, it's just like a, a short, you know, condensed catchphrase, uh, uh, you know, in the, in the most basic sense, sort of like how Black Lives Matter is. I mean, obviously, Black Lives Matter, uh, when that first became uh, part of the national conversation, Republicans rolled out their whole, but all lives matter. Well, of course they all matter, but we're, A, specifically talking about black lives right now because clearly there are people who don't believe they matter, and B, black lives matter, those three words, doesn't t- they don't take out anything else. It's not black lives matter and these lives don't. It's just black lives matter, period. It's just a statement. Um, so, you know, believe women to me is the same thing. So to see, you know, Democrats come out and say, all of a sudden go, maybe it shouldn't believe, believe. Well, yeah, it's always been, I mean, the people who've outed, you know, Harvey Weinstein, Matt Lauer, and all these other sexual predators over the past couple of years, they didn't just wake up one morning and say, I'm believing their, the, his, his, uh, their accusers. No, they did the work and they put out reports and then people read those reports and they made the decision to, uh, shun some of these people from uh, not enough of them obviously not by far not enough of them but some of them like harvey weinstein got shunned from uh, public life and even fewer of them but again harvey weinstein got sent to prison um so i mean it, it's you know to me the idea that they're, they're all of a sudden hung up on that phrase and another thing i love not to be on go all over the place now but another thing i love is how these same people who are questioning whether we should believe women when uh, a woman comes out and accuses someone of rape now. If we should, you know, these are the same people who were saying uh, when people weren't believing that Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren's uh, women cannot be president uh, tiff, they were saying, you know, oh, we have to, if you don't believe Warren, then you don't believe women. Uh, what? I mean, it's, 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 it was, you know, I've, I've hated this sort of weaponizing bad faith, these sort of terms. But that was, to me, the most in-your-face one where they're taking something that was meant to strictly define sexual assault, rape, harassment, to turn that into what really was a, a personal beef between two people who were friends in a private uh, conversation talking uh, campaign strategy. I mean, it was just yeah. bizarre to me. It's disgusting. Elizabeth Warren could fuck off. Like, seriously... I came into this with a mildly positive view of her as one of the slightly more progressive Democrats. Granted, that's a low fucking bar. But like after this, I'm like, God, she she fucking sucks. Yeah, like, I, I either I, she either she uh, made she helped them beat Bernie on purpose or she was a useful idiot. I'm not sure which is worse. Right. Right. Yeah, I, I, there were many times I jumped on a live stream after one of the many uh, 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 primary result nights where it was clear that Warren should have dropped out and endorsed Bernie. Uh, you know, sort of, I guess, heartbroken, I guess you can say, because she was someone. I mean, clearly I knew the difference between Warren and Bernie. That's why I was a Bernie supporter. But at the same time, you know, when you're in this position and we're talking electoral politics, you you give a little and pick your allies. And she, to me, I, I don't I wouldn't consider her on the left. I'm sure she doesn't either. But I would consider her, you know, a, a or at least for a, an elected official, a progressive ally. Uh, and it was really disappointing to see her do what she did. Uh, I, I, I don't. I don't know. I'm dying to know what what it was. Like you said, was she just, you know, un, un, unable to come to terms with this, and in 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 response, tanked a actual progressive campaign who had a real chance to win, or was there something more going on behind the scenes where she was playing a very purposeful role? And and I would love to know one day, and I don't know if we ever will. Yeah, that's probably going to be one of those unsolved mysteries that we forget about is worse and worse things continue to happen oh i don't know i will never forget this 
Neither will Michael. He's pissed. Right, right. I mean, not to not to dwell on this, but you know the the, the but you know talking about Warren, the thing that really bothers me is all the people who 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 show like oh, but you know these people were never going to vote for Bernie. Well, yeah, because their 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 girl Warren didn't endorse him, and they were very uh, uh, pliable. I guess you could have they could have went either way, and if she just took a stance. A lot of them would have went to Bernie. Uh, also, if it happened a lot earlier, where you know they they were felt more forced into a position, along with an endorsement, I think it would have gone a long way. Also, that whole a woman a woman couldn't become president thing really didn't do anyone any favors. Unbelievable. Uh, yeah, no, it was gross. The whole thing was gross. I mean, we know that the Democrats do not care about uh, feminism in any kind of real way. They only care about it when it suits their political goals, but it's just like more in your face now than ever before, which is like super, it's super fun for me as a socialist feminist, seeing uh, more and more people realize the Democrats are trash. All right. So Jamie, to wrap things up, I guess here on this wonderful night, what do you think is next for the left? Where do you think we go from here? That's my radio voice, by the way. Very nice. It's a big question. It's a million dollar question or perhaps a no dollar question if we want to take it all the way and abolish money and the value form. Um I think okay. I'm so I'm I'm deeply, deeply agnostic about basically every tactic that you could possibly think of to get to socialism or even dare I say communism. Right. Like on the Bernie campaign and electoral campaigns in general, I just think there's not any way to know, except in hindsight, what relationship, if any, it has to the project of building socialism and overthrowing capitalism. In the same way, uh, I feel that way about the non-electoral tactics. However, I do think that you get more bang for, for your buck whenever you are organizing people at points of direct contact with capital, right? Bosses, landlords, the cops, these are very immediate experiences that most working class people have had in their lives versus electoral politics, which is so many layers removed from most people's reality. Um, it's, it's a bunch of extra steps to convince them, oh yes, this does matter to your life, but also the Democratic Party is trash we're only using the ballot line opportunistically, um, and eventually we're going to overthrow the whole system. It seems like adding some extra steps in there. I don't know. But um, I think we really need to be, to the degree that we can and to the degree that it will matter, uh, building uh, working class institutions and even something resembling dual power. Like dual power is a concept that exists in really every strain of leftist thought from Leninism to anarchism. And it's, uh, you know, it seems good. I'm talking about like working class institutions of, of dual power or counter power that can, that are independent of the state and of the kind of NGO industrial complex. So like tenant unions, uh, democratic labor unions. Uh, sometimes they have to fight the preexisting labor bureaucracy which is tied to the establishment and tends to be less militant. Um, worker centers. Um, what else? What institutions? Throw throw some at me. Alternative media. Duh. Right. Yeah, yeah. There That's we go. What we're doing here. We're That's trying. We're perfect trying example. Our best. Yeah, I mean, I I totally agree with you that there needs to be more groundwork done. And the idea that we're just going to jump in. I mean, the 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 fact that Bernie Sanders got as far as he did, basically, just you know. The left didn't dip their toes in the water; they dove in head first the the How far he got by doing that is incredible because there was no groundwork there was nothing holding him up. He was literally you know him and his campaign were literally on their own pretty much facing the world really and so it is yeah. really impressive and it shows how powerful those policies are and what you know building your your, you know, your campaign and your entire career like he did on these policies, it goes a long way. But unfortunately, it seems like it doesn't go far enough. 
So I agree with you. There definitely needs to be real groundwork done, uh, movement-based organizing, uh, just reaching out to, to people who necessarily, uh, I mean, I know this was Bernie's plan, but I don't think it ever really manifested, reaching out to people who don't normally vote and getting them out to the, I mean, obviously it's easier said than done, and I'm sure there was some work done there. But I do think that there are people who, obviously there are people who can't vote because of various responsibilities in their life, and this country tries to make it as hard as possible for them to vote and marginalize them. Yeah, or maybe they're immigrants, or maybe they're incarcerated. Right. But at the same time, I think there are still people who could vote and just don't feel like their vote matters, so they don't based on a choice not to. And I think the left can reach out to those people and really get some some movement there. You know, that's sort of like, you know, that's sort of one of the things that I feel like is the 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 takeaway for what we're going to go to in November with the 2020 general election. And it's it's you know, a lot of people I think on the left saw Trump win. Uh, I know there are some accelerationists who wanted him to win and they, but I think the most people did not want him to win on the left. But they saw it as an opportunity, and uh, they felt, and I was one of these people, that, you know, Trump will show that, you know, the left is correct. And, you know, to a degree, I think he, he showed young people that, and, and we saw that with the under 40 contingent with the Bernie Sanders campaign. But I also think the idea that there was a blue wave that would be beneficial to leftist candidates uh, turned out to be quite the opposite. And, and I say this from someone who worked on some of these campaigns. The blue wave was actually detrimental to the left because what happened was the blue wave rolled right over the left. Uh, it wasn't, the blue wave wasn't a bunch of uh, uh, Democrats who were woken by the uh, Trump administration uh, to how correct leftist policy is. They were woken to the idea that uh, Trump sucks and we got to do whatever it takes uh, to beat Trump and I guess what the Democrats tell us to do is what we need to do to beat Trump. And, and unfortunately, the people who that messaging is most uh, successful with are over the age of like 45, 50. And those are the people who vote in larger numbers, again, due to a various number of reasons. Uh, and th that's that's sort of one of my reasons as to, you know, to me, if you're going to make a case to the left on why you need to, I'm not going to say vote for Biden because I'm I'm not there. Uh, or nor will I ever be, maybe. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> one of the reasons you need to do whatever you think you need to do to get Trump out of office, if you were strictly caring uh, about, you know, a, 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 the left being in power in the future, is the fact that this is the reality. Trump has been really bad for the left for these reasons. And the quicker I think he's gone, a lot of these people, like these never-Trumpers who get all this media time, and these, you know, these people who really are just paying attention to politics because Trump is bad, orange man bad. Uh, I think they'll, they'll, I still want them to vote, but I think they won't be, you know, paying attention to these types who are telling them to vote in a certain way because Trump will just be gone and they won't have, they, they won't feel like it's as important to do what the Democrats say. Maybe they'll, they'll take the chance and uh, think that all people in this country deserve health care, as crazy as that may sound. Well... I mean, we had a lot of people saying that they support Medicare for all, but voting for Biden anyway, which is uh, a pretty depressing outcome, right? And it just shows you how depoliticized people are around these issues because, you know, you've been told your entire life that you can't have something. You're going to believe it's not possible, even if you think that it would be great. Um, I think also, like, Biden could be almost serve a similar purpose to Trump and that uh, he's showing people that, I mean, you and I maybe have different degrees of confidence in electoral politics, right? But I think um, the thing that is missing here that has been present in the past in a greater degree is there's no real effort being made to recuperate this left populist energy, right? I mean, these unity committees, it's all fucking window dressing. People can see that. There's all of the safety valves for class conflict. They've been removed. Like, both parties. They're like, no, you could fuck off. You get nothing. And the question is, are people in this country cucked enough to accept it? Or are they eventually going to rise up and push back? Like, 
we do not have a mass working class movement in this country right now. Um, and this is why the Sanders campaign, they tried to reverse engineer it from an electoral campaign. Usually it's the other way around, but they didn't have a choice. And, you know, it was worth a shot. It probably wasn't going to work. And it probably didn't work. I say probably because I think we don't really know yet what the long term impacts will be. We'll see. All right. But um, where was I going with this? I don't know. Full communism. We need we need a social revolution. Like, I'm serious. I'm serious about it. And I try to say it um, over and over again until I stop sounding crazy to people. Right. That's like that's my project. Right. Right. Uh, you know, that's that's what Bernie did with a lot of things uh, that are not popular. So it's not it's a good strategy, Jamie. Well, thank you. It's a good strategy. I'm going to I'm going to keep doing it. And one day, one day, maybe. When uh, you uh, decide to run for office because your, your your views of electoral politics have changed, uh, other people who uh, remember you on the majority port will uh, be clipping these uh, interviews and these uh, segments you have on this show and other shows and, and on majority port and the Antifada, and they'll be uh, doing those those uh, those really uh, epic sort of uh montages where it's like jamie was alone but now we're all behind her <laughs> like they did for bernie you know what i'm talking oh, about <laughs> oh stop it stop it don't tease me like that no i will run for office um after the rev i think i would do a really good job as some like low-level bureaucrat in the brooklyn soviet right well the problem with the revolution then is that you're viewing that they're still elected officials after. I, I think maybe we should. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not up to me to write out receipts for the cook shops of the future. We may still have some form of uh, parliamentary democracy. I don't know. Right. Maybe, maybe not. Right. Or uh, fast forward, uh, I don't know, 20, 30 years, and we're all, uh, you know, declaring our loyalty to Queen Jamie Peck, who will have us off if we do not. <laughs> wow. Wow, Matt. Could go either way. You don't know. Who knows? I would never, I would never want to be the queen of people unless they like really insisted on it. And then I would be like, okay. Right. If well, you say so. Yeah. Just like people could clip those clips in favor of you. They could also clip the clip right now when you are the ruler <laughs> and say, look at this hypocrite. Look at this hypocrite. No, no. I believe in uh, bottom up, decentralized, direct democracy. <laughs> I only recently came around on the need for like some form of central planning, preferably done by a computer. That's when I dropped the anarcho prefix and just called myself a communist. So I'm it, always... It, a, learning. a single computer, like a mastermind computer that rules us all. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, all With right. my face on it. Right. Duh. There we go. There we go. Are you happy? You I'm happy. happy I'm happy. You finally, you finally, yes, and come on. This is comedy. <laughs> this is comedy. Now, <laughs> Jamie Peck of The Antifada and The Majority Port, a show I did not hear of before today. Uh, <laughs> uh, Jamie, where can people follow you? And also feel free to plug exactly what you like to plug with URLs and all. All right. Well, uh, my primary project and the thing that I put most of my blood, sweat and tears into right now is my podcast, The Antifada. You can find it at patreon.com slash The Antifada. Or wherever you get your podcasts, you could just type in the Antifada and it will probably be there. And we have a free episode every week. And most weeks we have some bonus content as well for our patrons. But if you don't have any money and you want to listen to our bonus content, you can email us and we will hook you up because we are a communist podcast. So it would probably be bad if we didn't. Uh, give it to people who have no money because those are the people with the most uh, most inspiration and potential to revolt against our capitalist overlords, right? Right, right. All right, makes sense. All right, Jamie, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, always a pleasure uh, 
This is the longest time we've ever talked, by the way, regardless of the fact that we've been on a number of Majority Report episodes. Now, let me tell you, did I, did I interrupt you as much as Sam Cedar? No, you were a very good conversationalist. I would say Sam should watch it, but maybe he shouldn't because I feel like I talked some smack on him, but maybe I didn't. I'm just an honest person. I don't know. Someone asked me a question. I answer it. All right. Well, that's 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 how <laughs> that's how it should be. Yeah. All right, Jamie. Thank you so much. Uh, looking forward to having you on again. And uh, let me know when you'd like to have me on the Antifada. Obviously, uh, you know, no pressure. Hell yeah. No pressure. <laughs> oh yeah. Thanks for having me. This was super fun. Even though I'm tired, I hope I made some sense. No, it was good. It was good. Don't worry about it. no one. No one could tell that. Uh, well, if you're watching the live stream, you can see Jamie. But uh, if you're listening to the podcast. No one can tell that Jamie right now is in bed and half asleep with those like those blinder things on so she can not see anything, you know. All right. Good night. Good night. <laughs> bloop, bloop. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's go to the second half of the show. But first, we are so close to hitting the Patreon goal again. We have inched forward literally... Like, stuck in this weird area for, for months and months and months. And then all of a sudden, the primary season came. I mean, really, a year we were stuck in this, like, weird, you know, range. Never really uh, losing any, but never really growing too many. But then all of a sudden, the primaries happened, got closer, closer, and then the coronavirus happened, and we lost a bunch. But now we are back just a handful away from hitting that first goal. And I feel like when we hit that patreon.com slash Matt Binder goal, uh, of which we need, just need a few more Patreon subscribers, uh, I feel like we're going to just rock it off again. It's just going to be, we're getting that funk, and all of a sudden the show's growing tenfold. My wonderful patrons, by the way, I'm going to drop you right now. Abigail T, Adam Q, Alan B, Amanda H, Andrew C, Andrew H, Angela, R.E.R., Baka, Ben, Benji, Bobby M, Brosnan, Champagne Kami, Chris F, Christine H, Cindy G, Colin R, Connor R, Cracker Barrel, C.T., uh, Cynthia J, uh, D, Dan K, Dank Uger, Dave K, David Z, Daya, Doug H, Douglas V, Dragon Slayer, Eugene B, Froz K, Free Hat, FTW, uh, Graham C, Greywind, Greg D, Greg D, Grim, Hitesh, Igor, Jack, Jacob W, Jameson, Test, Janelle A, Jasmine H, Jeremy M, JLS, John B, John S, Jonathan B, Joseph H, Joseph R, Joyce M, Justin S, Katie S, Koshal, Lisa D, Mariah, Mark S, Max W, me, Mitch, Michael B, Michael J, Michael M, Mr. Danks, NS, Nicole A, Namdinet, Null Style, Odeth, Paul M, Penelope D, Custer, Rad Dad, Remy, Ryan, Scott R, Seth K, Sean H, Sheena A, Silicone Baby, Stephen R, Stephen S, Steve A, TM, Tamney G, Taylor M, Terrence R, Hypervisor, This Is Not Pizza, Tina M, Tom M, Why That Tie Guy, Wootopian, and as always, last but not least, Zoe. So if you can afford to do so, patreon.com slash mattbinder. If you cannot afford to do so, what you can do to support the show is subscribe to the YouTube channel which you should do whether you can afford to or not, youtube.com slash mapinder. You could subscribe to the uh, iTunes, Google Play, wherever you listen to podcasts, uh, doomedpod.com. Leave an iTunes review, star review, written review. All that really helps. So if you haven't already, take a minute and do it. Um, what else? Follow me on Twitter, at mapinder. Uh, I'm pretty much at mapinder everywhere, or just search mapinder on whatever social network, and I'm, I'll pop up. Uh, what else? What else? What else? What else? Oh, tell your favorite YouTubers, podcasters, whatever about me and the show. Tell them you want to see me on. That's how Sam got the brilliant idea to have his old faithful producer back on the show this past Friday. A bunch of people told me they emailed him because they wanted me back on the show. And lo and behold, he reached out and had me on the show. It works, people. It really does. Uh, keep emailing Sam and tell him you want to see me regularly on the show. I should be a monthly guest, people are saying. Uh, 
really, people are saying that. I don't mean people are saying as in just me. I am saying, I'm not pulling a Trump. I get messages, people are saying. Uh, uh, also, tell me who you'd like to see on this show. Uh, if you want to come on this show and just tell me about your experience with the coronavirus, how you've been faring, whatever, I'd love to have you on. Tell me about what you're doing, if you're running for office, whatever. I've been saying this every show for weeks now. I have a list of people like that who just reached out when I made an open call. I'm getting to it. It's been really busy, and I have you guys, and I want to have as many of you guys on as possible. It's going to happen, I promise. Uh, you didn't fall into some black hole? You're on a list. You're on a list. Wait, what did Chris Jericho say? You're on the list, or you made the list. There we go. That's what Jericho would say. Um, yeah. Uh, Patreon.com slash Matt Binder. One more time with that plug there. Otherwise, we're going to the patron-only half of the show. Stick around if you're a live streamer. If you're watching live, you can you can catch it live. Uh, if you catch the replay, though, on doingpod.com, patreon.com slash mybender. All right. Excuse me. I just burped. <laughs> See you all next time on Doomed.